Thank you so much for tuning in to Encounter AZ's podcast. We are believing that God is going to use this ministry to change your life. Now enjoy the message. Thank you, worship team. Awesome. Go ahead and take back your seats, but stay in this mentality and attitude of worship this morning. I believe I have a, a word for you this morning. It's, it's kind of a heavy word. Is it all right if I preach to you a heavy word this morning? I mean, what are you going to say? No, like I have the mic. <laughs> Too bad. But hey, I want to preach to you on this Father's Day. Happy Father's Day to every dad out here this, this morning. I want to discuss a dad in the Bible and some family issues that he had that kind of make me feel a little better about my family. And this is, this is a, a dad in the Bible that is known as a man after God's own heart. And so we, you'd think David is a great guy to talk about on Father's Day, um, a great role model. Well, not in every single way. And I want to discuss uh, some family issues that we see in his family this morning with you. Uh, I'm going to continue my series called Unstuck. This morning's message, if you're taking notes, is called Stuck in Undealt With Issues. Stuck in Undealt With Issues. And I think we all have some issues in our life that God wants to deal with. Hey, I want to remind you we have an exciting week this week. Uh, if you have kids, on Wednesday we're continuing our summer activities and we're meeting here at 11 a.m. and we're taking the kids to Skateland and it's $5 per person. Parents are welcome to join us or you can drop them off with Pastor Casey and his team will be here at 11 a.m. They're going to go have some fun at Skateland. And then Friday night we have Father's Heart Night of Worship. Uh, Pastor Josh and Jen, they lead that. It's a worship night at 7 p.m. They just worship and and worship, and more worship. It's awesome, and, and God always shows up. And so if you want to enjoy that, come at 7 p.m. Friday night. If you've never been, I, I encourage you to come and check it out. It's an awesome time of worship. And then Saturday, guess what? Yesterday, we did not do our outreach at the river because of the rain and the thunderstorms that were projected. So we rescheduled it for this coming Saturday. So you didn't miss it yet. You can come at noon this Saturday, okay, and enjoy uh, giving out water in the name of Jesus at the river with us. I want you to look at somebody next to you and say, I would be the best looking person in this room if it wasn't for you. Doesn't that feel nice to compliment someone like that? Um, 2 Samuel chapter 13, verse 20 through 22 this morning should be on the screen behind me. It says, her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. When King David heard all this, he was furious. And Absalom never said a word to Amnon, either good or bad. He hated Amnon because he had disgraced his sister Tamar. So this is a pretty heavy uh, scriptures, like I said, it already got quiet in here, you can see. But uh, I want you to understand there's some things in your life that if you don't deal with them, they're going to deal with you. There's some things in your, in your life that come uh, from your past or maybe the way you were raised or some things you picked up along the way that if you don't kill them, they're going to kill you. And this is a story in the scripture we see of some, um, some undealt with issues in David's house. I, read a, I heard a story about this husband and he was watching his wife cook a ham. And he noticed something that when she cooked the ham, she cut a quarter of the ham off of the front and a quarter of the ham off the back before she put it in the oven. And he asked her, he said, honey... Why do you cut a quarter of the ham off the front and a quarter off the back before you put it in the oven? And she said, I don't know. That's just how my mom did it. So that's the way I do it. And so she was interested. She called her mom and, and said, Mom, why when you cook a ham do you cut the front quarter of the ham off and the rear quarter of the ham off before you put it in the oven? To which her mom said, I don't know. That's how I saw my mom do it. 
And so she decided to call her grandma and she said, Grandma, when you cook a ham, why is it that you cut the quarter, front quarter and the back quarter off of the ham and just cook half of it in the oven? And she said, honey, I only did that one time. And that time it was just because I didn't have a pan big enough to fit the whole ham. But it's funny, but how many of you know we do these things in life? We can adopt traits and tendencies that we never intended on adopting in our lives. There are things that, that we grew up with, issues we adopted that came through basically like our bloodline. The way I, that's just the way I was raised. That's the way I learned to do it because that's the way I watched my parents do it. And we can get stuck with these traits and tendencies that happen under the surface. And I've learned that these traits and tendencies in our lives, these undealt with things that we don't, we're not even aware of sometimes, they're either taught or they're caught. Because there's sometimes you, you learn things that you never had any intention on learning. You, there's things that you, that you have learned and you've come through in your life. Have you ever sang a song that you had no intention of learning? You're like, why is this song in my head? Have you ever learned a song you don't even like, but you can't get it out of your head? I had no intention of learning that song. If you have little kids, uh, you've probably been through this. There's just some songs that you can't get out of your head because you hear it all the time. I have memorized every song in The Greatest Showman on accident because, I, because my kids will not stop singing it, but you can acquire knowledge unintentionally. And, and it's important that you understand you do this through exposure and you're exposed to different things in your life, different relationships that help you pick things up. Some are helpful and some are not helpful. It's important that we can evaluate these things because when you have a ham habit, you mess up food. But when you have a life habit, you can mess up a life. And it's important that we understand that what we're born and what we're, how we're raised and the things that we go through, they brought us to this point, but we have to evaluate and see, is this something that is a good tendency or trait that I have, or is this something that's holding me back? And so in this story, we see uh, a few characters. Let's go over the characters. The first person you see uh, in the story, the most famous one in the Bible, is David. David's the father, okay? On Father's Day, David is our role model. He's the daddy in this text. Amnon is David's son. David has a son named Amnon. He has another son in the story named Absalom. And then he has a daughter named Tamar. It's all in the family, okay? But now you need to understand Absalom and Tamar are full brother and sister. But Amnon and Tamar are just half brother and sister. Is it, everybody putting this together? Does this make sense so far? But then we see Amnon, the story is about he's the half-brother of Tamar, and he has an inappropriate attraction to his sister. And he has this undealt with thing, and we see the, the attraction is the issue, but the attraction is not the actual issue. The issue is an undealt with issue inside of him that the, the tendency that we see on the outside, the fruit of it is that he has an attraction to his sister, but the real issue is something that's on the inside of him. He has an unaddressed, unaddressed internal issue that impairs his discernment. And when, you, when you're not right, you have a problem with discernment. You know what discernment does? It draws us boundaries. You know how you, the easiest way to tell if someone is not in an intimate relationship with Jesus if they have no discernment? Because when you're close to the Father, you, you hear his heart and you, and you want to do the things that he wants you to do. But when you lose this discernment, all of a sudden you start getting appetites for the wrong things. You have no discernment to, to be attracted to the things you should be attracted to. You start being attracted to the wrong things. And then we see in the story, Amnon, he has this friend. The Bible calls him a friend. His name is Jonab. 
And instead of this friend, his friend redirecting him, because Amnon comes to him and says, Jonab, I, I have this attraction to my sister, Tamar. Jonab doesn't redirect him. In fact, he tells him, here's what you should do so that you can be with her. They make this plan together so that he can be with his sister. He misses his responsibility as a friend because do you know real friends should have sight when you're blind? Real friends should redirect you in the position where you're not going to ruin your life or someone else's life because they see things that you can't see. And socially, we see friendship one way. We see friendship as someone that I enjoy their company, someone that I do extracurricular activities with, someone that says yes when I want them to say yes and says no when I want them to say no. Socially, that's what we see. But biblically, there's different responsibilities for a friend. Jesus called his disciples friends. And we see that there's things that you'll share with a friend biblically that you wouldn't share with anyone else. They have access to your life others won't have. There's an accountability that comes along with being a biblical friend. That I'm not going to let you ruin your life, but accountability only works if there's authenticity. Because some of us in church, we, we say we have accountability, but the you that, you that you become when you're around your accountability partner is a different you than you are when you're around your friends that don't know Jesus. So where's the real you? Is it the you that you're portraying? No, God cannot bless the you you pretend to be. He can only bless the authentic, real you, and he wants to deal with issues, but it all starts with authenticity. You can't be accountable without authenticity. And this guy, Jonah, he should have been a biblical friend. But do you know what I think happened here? I think he was more concerned. He loved the friendship more than he loved his friend. And so instead of being his friend, he became an accomplice. Can I ask you, do you have the strength to wound a friend if it means that he's gonna, you're going to keep him from ruining his life? Or will you sacrifice your friend in the name of loyalty? Because sometimes I think in friendships, we think, oh, um, I'm, I love this friendship, I don't want to ruin it, and that's being loyal. But no, if you love your friend, you will do what you have to do. I'd rather you be mad at me now so you don't ruin your life later. Y'all, I can deal with the anger and you being mad at me now, but... I want you to get right. He says, pretend you're sick. And then when your father David asks, what, you need, what do you need? He says, then tell him, I want my sister Tamar to come into my room and bake me bread. And so he goes through with this. And uh, Jonab did not keep this man from destroying his sister. And, he, and then we see in scripture, it goes on. We'll read it in a, in a, in a minute here. Proverbs 27, 6, though, I want to read this first, says, wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. Wounds from a friend can be trusted because it's easier to recover from a wound of a friend than it is to recover from a destroyed life. Now, I want to ask you this morning, do you care more about your friendships than you do your friends? Because we, I see people destroyed in the name of loyalty when God is calling us to be biblical friends to people. And then the story goes on. Amnon, he follows through with this plan. David sends Tamar to him. He, she goes in obedience to her father. She goes to his room. He throws himself on her. And the Bible says she resists. And then we find ourselves in 2 Samuel 13, verse 14. She's trying to resist, but he refused to listen to her. And since he was stronger than she, he raped her. His own half-sister. This is the drama you see in the Bible. If you, see, if you think the Bible's boring, the Bible is not boring. You're boring, okay? This is, this is like some TMZ stuff we're reading in the Bible right now. And so he, he rapes his half-sister, and then the Bible tells us afterwards, Amnon, the perpetrator, is outraged. 
He's outraged because you know what? All of a sudden, he, he, what he thought was love, he, he had this curiosity in his flesh, and then he realized in the end it wasn't love, it was lust. He had this curiosity in his flesh, and, and then it confused him into thinking that he loved her. And then all of a sudden, when, the lust, when his flesh was satisfied, all of a sudden, he was sober again. Do you know lust has an intoxicating feeling? You can't think straight. You can't think wisely. Um, it will deceive you into thinking you feel something you don't. You remember your junior high relationship, right? You remember the one where you had a song? And it was going to work out, and you were in love, and you, told your, and you told your parents, and your parents laughed at you? Nowadays, kids say, but Pastor Brent, you don't understand. We love each other. I'm like, how do you know? He bought me a fidget spinner. I, he loves me. No, he doesn't love you. That's not love you feel. That's Skittles and Mountain Dew, okay? Just calm down. But when we're caught up in our feelings, in this lust, we can just confuse things and think there's something that they're not. This is how many women get deceived, too. The, the real thing is, you've got to understand, when he said those things to you, in the moment, he meant them. But then after his flesh was satisfied, he realized he was confused himself. He didn't even de just deceive you. He deceived himself. And then Amnon, his, his feelings changed, and he immediately puts her out. Now I just picture Tamar rushing to just grab her clothes and be forced out of his, his room destroyed and embarrassed and looked down on and devalued. And then we see her brother come to her in this scripture that I read, and Absalom, her full brother, and asks her an interesting question. He asks her, was Amnon with you? Why does he ask that? Why would he think this about his brother? I wonder if it's because along the journey there were signs that were unaddressed. He noticed some signs, but he didn't really want to say anything. Sometimes we see signs coming from someone, maybe even in our family, and we just brush it off and we push it to the side. Can I be real this morning? Why is he always with little girls, but we push it off? Why does he always have little boys over to his house, and we brush it off? And in this story, we see that there was, there was probably these signs, and, and I want to I want to look at this question. He says, have you been with Amnon? And then his response is, be quiet for now, my sister. That's just your brother. That's just your uncle. He's like that. Oh, that's just your brother being your brother. Don't worry about it. No, that's, that's, how, that's how it sounds in our, in our day and age and in our, in our own lives. But can I ask you, what does the fact that it's your brother have to do with it? He was trying to justify what was done based on the fact that you're related to him. He was saying, you know what, Amnon, he, he, he needs grace. But do you know what, Amnon might need grace, but Tamar also needs healing. And she needs to be heard. Um, and then we see he even has the nerve to say, don't take this thing to heart. 1 Samuel 13, 20, let's read it. It says, her brother Absalom said to her, has that Amnon, your brother, been with you? Be quiet for now, my sister. He's your brother. Don't take this thing to heart. And Tamar lived in her brother Absalom's house, a desolate woman. Desolate means empty, ruined, and emotionless. As I was thinking about this message, I asked myself, could this be the reason we see so many women in our culture and in our day and age that are hardened? We, we, like, to, we like to judge uh, 
people's state, but we don't explore their story? Could it be that they had to be so strong and rigid to even survive what they'd been through? You don't know Tamar's story. She'd been through a, she'd been through a lot, and, and the story, it breaks my heart, but I ask myself, what do you think this did to Tamar? Because you've got to understand, in their day, if, you, if you, this had happened to you, it significantly decreased the likelihood of you ever getting married. Not only that, she would have struggled with the re- for the rest of her life of how she saw men. One of the most important experiences in her life was stolen from her. And so Tamar, she's desolate. Then Absalom says, be quiet, my sister. Do you know what he's doing in this story? He's teaching her to be an emotional stuffer. Just stuff it down. Don't worry about it. Just give Amnon some grace. She's just your brother. He's just doing a brother's things. But then this is the real point I wanted to talk about on this Father's Day is we see in the scripture that David found out about it. The Bible says he was furious. David finds out that his daughter had been raped by his son. He's furious. And then you know what we see happens? What do we know from scripture that happens? It says Amnon lived in the king's courts for two years. Amnon lived in, his king, in the king's courts for two years. So, David, we see you're furious, but we don't see any action. You know, David was her father. He was supposed to be her covering. He was supposed to protect her when things would go wrong and people would try and abuse her. But it had happened within his own household, and he did nothing. My question is, David, how can you fight a giant with a rock to defend all of Israel, but you can't even cast him out of your house to defend your daughter? This doesn't make sense to me as I'm reading this story. You were concerned with fighting and protecting all of Israel, but you don't even care about protecting your own daughter? This doesn't make sense. Something's going on here. David has some undealt with issues that I think were coming up through this. And and this is, I think, a pattern in David's family. Because it doesn't say that, it says Absalom never talked to Amnon about it. He never went to him. So how did David find out about it? I guarantee you Amnon didn't tell him. But I think there was people in David's family that would talk about it, but do nothing about it. They, there were some discussions. They saw this dysfunction, but they refused to address it. There was undealt with issues in David's family. How about your family? Are there things that, that you're carrying over that are tendencies and traits that you learned before that, that are causing you to not be able to deal with issues now or not see them sober-mindedly? Absalom, he sees Amnon go consequence-free for two years. And finally, Absalom takes matters into his own hand and kills his brother. Okay, David, now your daughter is destroyed and your son is dead because you wouldn't deal with something. Because you wouldn't deal with the issue that was right there in front of your face. Not only that, the Bible says that Absalom, he he starts to go downhill as well. He goes in this downward spiral where now he starts building this alliance to take his father's throne from him because he's lost all respect for him. Absalom, he he builds this this group that's going to fight against David's armies and they're going to take the throne. Absalom is actually killed in battle. Then we see, let's just go through the story. David is so upset, he becomes insensitive to those fighting for him. Let's read in 2 Samuel 19.6. This is one of David's generals that says, You love those who hate you, and you hate those who love you. 
You've made it clear today that the commanders and their men mean nothing to you. I see that you would be pleased if Absalom were alive today and all of us were dead. You see, David, you've got to understand, we're fighting to protect and clean up this mess that you made, and you're being a jerk to us, and we love you, and you're loving them, and they're trying to kill you. Have you ever been on the other side of that? You ever had somebody come to you, and, and, you, and you're saying to them, you're killing me, and I'm the only one here. You love your friends and you're, being, you're hating me, but you're sleeping on my couch. I'm the only one here. I love you and you're hating me and you're acting like they are the ones you love. I think a lot of us through our lives have all been on the other side of that. You get the brunt of the comments, but you're the only one that's there that loves them. And all, all of this in this story I, I see taking place. It's a terrible situation in David's house. And can I tell you, this is in the house of a man that was after God's own heart. This is in a house of a man who wrote the majority of the Psalms, the songbook of the Old Testament, and he, he was a worshiper. This is all taking place in church people's house. You know, it's possible to go to church and still be stuck. It's possible that you've been a Christian your whole life and you're still stuck with traits or tendencies because these things do not go away unless they're addressed intentionally. I have to open up my eyes and say, God, show me the issues and the traits that I've picked up that shouldn't be there, or else I'll end up like David, who's willing to kill a giant but won't even protect my own family. I don't want to be that kind of father who takes my issues and brings them into my family. You see, David had selective conflict avoidance. There were things he would deal with. He would, kill with, he would deal with enemies and kill them, but he allowed those who he loved to kill him. Could this be a result of David's own rejection? You know, scholars tell us about David's life is that when David was uh, writing Psalm 51, he put an interesting verse in there that, that says, I was conceived in iniquity. Meaning that some scholars believe that David was actually the illegitimate son of Jesse, his father's love affair. And not just that verse, but there's other, other things that lead people to believe this because when when the prophet came to Jesse's house, because God told the prophet that go to Jesse's house and one of them is going to be the next king. I want you to anoint him with oil. Jesse brings out seven of his eight sons. And none of them, God says, none of these are them. And so he says, is there any other ones? And he says, well, there's one more. It's just David. It's just, and there's no value there to David. And so it's, some scholars believe that it's actually because he's an illegitimate son of Jesse. These dynamics show that David was seen differently in his house than anyone else. He got no respect. In today's terms, I would say David was the Felicia of this family. Do you know the term by Felicia? Meaning you get no respect and no one cares about you. This is how David lived in this family. Nobody cared. He didn't get any respect. And some commentators even suggest that when Saul threw spears at David... He didn't run away because Saul was more of a father to him than his father ever was. You see, because if you receive something in one setting that you weren't getting in another setting, you'll put up with the abuse to receive the love. I mean, I know I'm getting spears thrown at me and he's trying to kill me, but at least he's nice to me sometimes. At least he appreciates me sometimes. And that's how we get caught in abusive relationships, but there are undealt with issues that are causing us to be a, ba a bad model of what it looks like. David was a bad model for a father. 
And it led him to say, I would rather dodge these spears and feel love sometimes than to never feel love at all in my own home. So David was raised this way, and I think it led him to have some tendencies to now where he's overcompensating in his own parenting style to make up for the way he was raised. I wasn't shown love, I wasn't shown grace or mercy in my own house, so now I'm going to go completely on the opposite side of the balance and just show love, and there'll be no discipline in my house. And I think David's going through all of this because of his past, and and he doesn't want his kids to feel what he felt, and they're all undealt with issues in his heart. He's parenting according to feelings, but meanwhile, Tamar is desolate. His family is impacted because he's stuck with undealt with issues. Can I tell you, I think if he would have dealt with his issues, that Absalom and Amnon would still be alive. Not today, but in this story. Can I suggest to you that there are some traits and tendencies in your own life that God wants you to deal with before they deal with you? There are some things from your past and tendencies that you've picked up. Maybe they're not good for you, and maybe you had no intention of picking them up, but it's affected how you parent and how you lead your home, dads, and moms, how you parent and how you're dealing with things and how every relationship that you get into, single people, is affected by something that happened to you because your dad never showed you attention. Now you're jumping from relationship to relationship, and they're abusive, but you're saying, at least I get love sometimes. It's better than how I used to be where they didn't even care about me. And we're dealing with all these undealt with issues that are causing us to lead from a broken place. David was leading from a broken place. He wasn't whole, and, it, and it's apparent, and you look in his, in his life, and you see all these issues that arose because he, had, he, did, he refused to deal with his own brokenness. Can I get the worship team to come back up? You know, I believe that there are some Tamars in this room. I believe there are some of you, young ladies, who you're covering did not do their job. Maybe you didn't receive love from your, from your earthly father or your earthly mother, and so you went looking from relationship to relationship, and, and you found yourself stuck at looking for love in the wrong places, all because your covering neglected you. And I believe there's some of you here that have been through abuse. And I just want to say that I apologize that the church has been silent on this issue for years. And, and I apologize that there's been those who've silenced you and said, don't worry about it. Don't talk about it. That's, that's just the way guys are. I believe there's some Tamars in this room who need healing. You've dealt with issues and you've been quieted for years. And now you've lost your voice and people walk all over you because Absalom silenced you. Can I tell you, I don't think it's over for you. I think God still wants to deal with the things that that dealt with your past. He still wants to give you the destiny and calling over your life that's been stolen in silence for you. I believe there's some young people in this church getting their voice back. I believe there's some older people who've been silenced and put in a corner for years and made to think that their voice has no value who can rise up and say, you know what? God has intention and purpose for my life and no one's going to silence what he's put in my mouth because he gave it to me for a purpose. You cannot stay stuck. 
Father, in the name of Jesus, I'm just declaring healing over every Tamar in this room, God. I'm declaring healing over, over every David who's carrying issues from their past and tendencies and traits into their current relationships, into their current family, into their current relationship with you even. God, I'm just asking right now, healing in the name of Jesus. You know, for every Old Testament problem, there's a New Testament answer. We see these issues in David's family in the Old Testament and all these things are going wrong for them. But I got good news for you this morning. If you're Tamar, if you're David, if you're Amnon, I don't, if you're the victim or the perpetrator, if you're a neglectful parent, if you're the sibling, or if you've been quieting people, if you've been quieted, I got good news for you because there's one answer to your problem and it's the name above every name. And it's the name of Jesus Christ who promises that the things that happen to you will not dictate the direction of your life and the calling over your life. We see a story in Matthew chapter 9 and Mark chapter 7 where Jesus heals a mute man. He was quieted. He was rendered to silence. But can I tell you, in one moment with Jesus, he touched him and his destiny was given back to him. His voice came back to him. And I need you to know this morning that whatever happened to you, you're getting ready to get your voice back. I feel completely inadequate, to be honest, to deal with these issues. And I can't help, I can't do anything to help you, but I can tell you there is one who can help you, and he's not done with you. And what happened to you does not dictate your worth or what he thinks about you. But you can rise up and say, I'm more than what's happened to me. I'm more than what they told me when they silenced me. I believe through Jesus that you can rise from the ashes and do something great in your life. I believe he's not done with you yet. We have a God who makes all things new. Right now, I just declare over every life in this place, all things are becoming new. Every trait or tendency from the enemy that's held us down and told us that we cannot do it, that we, are, we need to quiet our voice, that we have nothing to say, that we have no value. We just cast that off right now, and we say, Jesus, have your way, because you can give life to the mute man. You can give us our voice back. Our destiny is not tied to what they did to us. It is tied to what Jesus already did for us. Will you stand up to your feet with me and just say, Jesus, I believe you paid for it on the cross. I'm declaring healing over every life that the enemy tried to cast down through abuse and tell them that they couldn't do anything. Right now, I believe there's an arising that is taking place that says that what the enemy meant for my harm, God is going to use for my good. Come on. Come on. Will you stand up to your feet and just worship Jesus with me and say, Jesus, it's not over till you say it's over. I'm not done. You gave me a voice and I'm going to use it. I'm not going to be silenced anymore. I'm not going to be held down in my past and old things that happened to me. I'm declaring that every father in this place is going to lead his family the way God intended, not based on any way that they were led, not based on the fact that they didn't have a covering. So now they don't know how to be a covering in the name of Jesus. I believe you're going to teach us supernaturally to be better fathers, to be better parents, to be better husbands and wives, God. We're walking through this thing and we're not alone in the name of Jesus. God, I pray you come in this place and touch every mute mouth in this place and say, I have a word for this generation and it's going to come through a mouth that you wouldn't expect and even you can be used by God. Come on, let's worship him. Lift up his name. As we begin to worship, I want to invite the prayer teams up and I want to ask you if you've been in this place and you've been through some sort of abuse. If you feel like Tamar this morning as I'm reading this story, I want to invite you. We want to pray for you. God is not finished with you. Allow God to make all things new in your life.
Let's worship him together for a minute. I love the fact that in scripture, Jesus uses the the reference to being born again to describe our new relationship in life with him. Because I think so often there's so many things attached to your first birth and the, and the way you grew up and the people that let you down and didn't cover you that we can just allow to come into our current life and, and carry us into our future. We can't take our eyes off of them, but I have good news for you. That you are no longer associated and tied to that first birth because you've been born again. There's all things that become new. There is new life that arises in the name of Jesus. So I no longer associate myself with the brokenness of my first birth. I am now associated with my Father in heaven and born again under his name and his child. And I carry only the things that he wants me to carry into my future. We divorce ourselves from every issue from our past that's held us back. Everything that was done to us, every mistake we made, those no longer labeled me. I don't associate myself with those things. I associate myself with the name of Jesus and his calling and his destiny over my life. Father, we just declare victory in the name of Jesus this morning over every attempt of the enemy to quiet our destiny, God. We thank you that our destiny is so much greater than our history, and we just walk forward out of this place, no longer looking back, God. We declare that you are going with us, Lord, that we find healing in the name of Jesus. Father, we thank you that you're here with us this morning, and we're going to continue to worship him. You're welcome to stay and worship with us. Please do, but if you have to slip out, we're going to allow you to do so. I feel the presence of the Lord here this morning. I would encourage you, come up here and worship with us for a few minutes before you leave, and just say, God, I need a touch this morning. I don't want to leave here the same way I came in. If you're visiting with us, please stop by the Welcome Center on your way out and grab a free gift that we have for you. God bless you. Have a great week.